Hello, welcome to Personal Finance by the Kenyan Wall Street. My name is Mwakaneno Gakweli. I'll be your host for the show. So today I'm sitting with two finance gurus. I'm sitting with Rina Hicks and Valentine Jiroge. Valentine Jiroge is an investment professional and entrepreneur with a business and economics education from Drexel University in Philadelphia and an MBA from Oxford. And uh, she's also the co-founder and CEO of Africa's Pocket, which is a wealth management platform that equips you with um, knowledge to make the right financial choices for your life through a couple of digital courses and tools. And Rina Hicks, I'm sure if you're an old listener here, you're familiar with Rina. We had her um, late last year on Investing 101, which was a beginner's guide to investing. And uh, Rina was sitting with Erica Suma to talk about savings and investing during the pandemic. Um, if you want to know more about Rina, Rina is a founder of MoneyWise and RH Group Limited, a company that's involved in investment coaching, training, and content creation. She's also an author. She has a book called MoneyWise, Create, Grow, and Preserve Wealth. Rina is passionate about helping people become unstuck where the finances are concerned. And if you're interested in how she helps people, quote unquote, unstuck, we're about to hear that from her directly. She's been in the investment space for over 17 years, helping a community of over 18,000 people crystallize their goals and maximize their personal finance and professional potential. Uh, Rina is a certified professional coach and a member of the International Coach Federation. And she's also a director at FIDA Investment Bank and has been involved in many, many corporate finance advisory projects over the last 11 years. Welcome to the show, Rina and Val. Thank you, Makaneno. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. All right. So why is Africa's Pocket working together with MoneyWise? Um, I'd love to give you a little bit of history of sort of the direction we wanted to take in as Africa's Pocket. So you've done a great job of explaining uh, that we're a wealth management platform. But if I can take a step back and just kind of go to the why we exist, you know, it's very apparent that when you look at the African continent in general, you'll see that most of us are either the first or the second generation to really have enough money to even consider investing. Um, and so throughout my career, I've worked in uh, wealth management on Wall Street in Kenya, in private equity. And something that's become very apparent is that information uh, stays at the top. So when you already have wealth, there's a lot of resources to help you manage it. But when you look at the average person, the average first and second generation African, there's no information for them um, to figure out what to do with their finances. We're not taught this stuff in school uh, at all. And so what you find is that we get a lot of anecdotal advice. Uh, you have the uncle who tells you about the tomato farm that you can participate in, or the parent who tells you to buy plots, or the chama you're in that maybe wants to buy wedding chairs, but there's no source of truth when it comes to personal finance information, especially with the context of Africa. So we had already started putting together online courses, but we really wanted to work with somebody um, to put together an investment product. Um, and the idea is that MoneyWise is this uh, organization that already exists. We share a passion uh, for helping people figure out their finances. And we thought that Rina was a great partner to come and uh, break down investments. I love her investment philosophy. Um, I think that it makes a ton of sense to think about uh, creating wealth in a very systematic goal-based way. 
And so as Africa's pocket, you know, we, we are seeking out partners to help us um, put out different messages out there. Uh, so we create the platform and MoneyWise comes in and puts in the content. And that's how, from our perspective, uh, we reached out to MoneyWise, to Rina, so that we could partner uh, to kind of bring this course together. We could bring in our technology expertise. We could bring in the expertise of creating courses and then leverage the content that she already had from her book and, of course, from her very long-standing career to create something new together. Perhaps, Rina, you can share from your perspective um, why this was interesting for you. Yeah, thank you so much, Val. That's such great background. Um, I think for me, you know, similarly, I was looking to create content in a way that is sustainable and that will live beyond my abilities and that I can scale. I think one of the challenges is when you do coaching and training, even if you have an organization and have employed people, you have limitations of numbers, you have limitations of geographies and so on, and the ability to give a consistent uh, sort of quality in what you're delivering. So online courses have been something I've wanted to do for such a long time. And so when Africa's Pocket launched, I thought this is very interesting. And uh, just as Val has said, we had, you know, shared passion and vision. And um, I, I just thought they were a fantastic partner because they have what I didn't have. And so being on Africa's Pocket then gives me the ability to scale to levels much faster than I thought I could myself, um, as well as work with others who have similar expertise and be able to reach more people. So we are collaborating. And in fact, it's very interesting as opposed to seeing each other as competitors, we saw each other as collaborators to be able to get to where we want to go even faster. So this partnership has been really interesting and has um, helped us to grow as individual organizations a lot faster using this course called Investable, which we um, created. So I've created the content and Africa's Pocket provides the technology and the platform to provide it. Yeah. So um, Rina and Val, we're here today to discuss investments. And uh, Rina, as I said earlier, this is a topic that you already introduced to our listeners through our Investing 101 that you covered last year. And um, over the past few months, and actually argue years, we've seen many Kenyans and Africans lose their money through um, various dubious investment products and platforms. Um, and we want, we really want to tackle that. Uh, from the both of you, maybe, how can people think about protecting themselves from scams and understand how to invest in unregulated products? Yeah, maybe I can take that one first. This is Rina. <laughs> you know, so when you look at the, the, the environment, the investment and financial services sector, there's so many investment opportunities that are available majority of which are actually unregulated. So, you know, you can decide you want to invest in the chicken business. That's an investment. You want to start a, a shop somewhere. You want to invest in somebody else's business. Mm -hmm. uh, a friend is looking to import clothes from Turkey and they need money and you want to lend them. All that is unregulated. Right. And so the thing with regulated versus unregulated is that, you know, regulated products are typically financial assets that are looking to raise money, whether that's debt or equity, and go through a regulatory process of providing content, not content, but information about the opportunity and the regulators sort of take time to look at that application 
they typically would have a financial advisor or a transaction advisor that does due diligence. And so there's some kind of de-risking that happens in the process that enables this company to then get investments from all kinds of investors, retail investors, sophisticated investors. Everybody's like, okay, it's been kind of de-risked to some extent and I can put my money in. Okay. Now the unregulated is where there's no regulator that has approved anything. It's available for you to invest and nobody has looked into it. So the arrangement is such that it is between you and the institution. If something goes wrong, then you would sue the institution because they're the ones who have defaulted on what they promised. And there's so many. I can probably just give an example of my experience because I've made massive mistakes. In fact, the stuff that I talk about is not because I have studied and I know exactly how it all works. No, it's not because of that. It's because I have also made huge mistakes, even as a professional, looking to maximize returns and grow my wealth that I have learned from it. Really, what's the biggest mistake you've made so far? So there are many. I'll give you one. Okay. And this one I learned about in 2016. And then sort of just started taking action in 2017. And it was investing in the BitClub network organization. So Bitcoin, um, in 2017, if you remember, Bitcoin was probably around $4,000. And it just started to go up. And it went to about $8,000. And it was, you know, there was all this hula baloo about cryptocurrencies. And it was, you know, that's when sort of the marketing around crypto started. So I remember even hosting somebody on my show to talk about Bitcoin and how does it work and what's cryptocurrency just it was a selfish interview because I actually wanted to understand it for myself but I thought why learn alone let me bring along my community with me and so then I got introduced into BitClub Network through that experience and the idea was instead of buying Bitcoin how about making money from mining Bitcoin so BitClub Network was a company that claimed to help individuals to actually make money through mining Bitcoin and you mine Bitcoin through using computer power. And what happens is that these computers basically come together and these miners uh, basically solve complex algorithms and then kind of validate transactions through blockchain. It's complicated, mm -hmm. but it is a thing. However, this company, as I came to discover later, was actually a scam. But it was sort of done in such a way that so many people globally from all countries you can imagine, including Africa, South Africa, Kenya, Uganda, everywhere, people invested their money. And so I actually invested in BitClub Network. Now, that experience for me was very interesting because when I look back, so it ended up being a scam. These guys were arrested. I lost all my money. All right. How much? So to join, you paid hundred dollars mm -hmm. and then after that you can have an account ranging from five hundred dollars to two thousand dollars right i had put in at least five hundred thousand shillings which is about five thousand mm dollars -hmm. yeah to invest i lost all of it although i did actually i can't say i lost all of it because i did actually withdraw some at some point mm -hmm. uh, because there was mining dollars that were coming in working out to like 60 bob a day at that point in time <laughs> So some of the things that I, when I look back, I'm like, why didn't I see this? Like, honestly, why didn't I, I remember even having a conversation with Val and she asked me, did you look into who the founders were? The guys behind Bitcoin? I mean, the BitClub network. And when I went yeah. back and I was like, actually, I didn't. And do you know, when you just do a simple Google search, you find out that the guy <laughs> who actually was one of the founders is that convicted sex offender. 
I didn't know that. Oh my that. God, really? Imagine, <laughs> I found that afterwards. And I'm like, why didn't I even do that? You know, and then another oh one was the fact that you had to pay $100 to join the, the mining. Now, I didn't do research to find out, okay, how do you join these other mining pools? Because there's different mining pools. How do you join these other mining pools? I didn't even bother finding out how you join them. And the fact that these guys charge $100, I didn't even think about it. Only to find out later that it's actually free to join the other mining pools. And so these are red flags. A few of the red flags that you kind of are like, okay, I should have looked into it a bit more before just signing on. In, no, Rina, I'm sorry, but I was saying I'm finding it so interesting how it sounds like you have such deep knowledge about how the mining works, about the blockchain, about crypto. Um, And a lot of people, when they're doing due diligence, that's what you think about. You're like, do I understand this product? Do I understand the industry? (laughs) But there's so much more to to due diligence. You know, this opportunity is one that came across my my life as well. I just didn't have the money to participate in it. But I used to go for those meetings in town where they used to pitch the the product and even have relatives who ended up taking up the opportunity. And I think that's one of the things they did so well was that they would spend so much time educating you. So you feel like, actually, I I kind of understand this thing. Um, Mm. And then you forget to do these other checks that are, you know, basic. Like, who are the people behind this thing? How does the general industry work? Like, are they overcharging ETC? I just found that interesting that even with the, you know, your job is to do due diligence. (laughs) When it came to this one, it um, it was tricky. Yeah, it's so interesting. I think one of the things that I've learned from that experience is never to invest based on emotion and Mm -hmm. trust in somebody else knowing something you know the fact that makaneno you come and explain to me a concept and you seem to know it so well you've sat for one hour i'm still not quite clear but because makaneno seems to know and he has an experience you know he's an engineer and he's done this for many years he must know what he's talking about and so let me invest i will never do that again until i personally completely understand what am i getting into who are the founders behind this thing why are they charging these fees? Mm-hmm. How much am I earning? Does it make sense, those mm-hmm. earnings? Am I earning more from people joining under me or more from the mining? Because mm-hmm. those are the red flags that I didn't even think about. Go ahead. There's a lot I want to get into just from your story, um, by the way, including some of the things that you missed then that you probably wouldn't miss right now and, uh, and maybe how you approach investment differently. But before we get to that, let's hear Val's story. Val, what happens to you? How has what what is your character development story when it comes to investing? I think I have so many, so many. I I, I usually tell Rina that majority of my financial education has actually come from making mistakes, not from studying it in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know that's most of us anyway. Uh, but the one that I'll tell today is a little bit different from uh, Rina. I didn't do as much due diligence in the operations of the business, so I got this opportunity to invest in fish. Um, and this was around, I think actually that's the same time, 2016 there. Um, and I put in the initial investment, bought the, the, the fishlings, I think they're called, invested in the pond, got a guy to watch the fish, make sure that they're moving around and that kind of stuff. And <laughs> the harvest was supposed to happen, <laughs> I think after four months or something like that. So I never went there in the whole period between uh, setting it up and the time we were, we were supposed to harvest. I never, ever, ever went there. It was uh, somewhere in Narumoro. And uh, time for harvest, I make my trip. In fact, I made it a road trip with friends. And I go there and I have like 20% of the yield I should have. 
And after much, of course, I thought that the guy, the guy who had blood was the one who was stealing the fish. But what I discovered was that uh, the, the fish had actually been eaten by hawks. And the reason for this is just because I didn't put a net over the pond, which is something that if I had just visited another fish farm, I would have known to do. But the way that I approached this investment was so um, sort of laser fair. I did zero research on the operations. I knew nothing about fish farming. I had no idea even, the only thing I knew was, okay, this is the input cost. This is how much it's going to cost throughout the period. This is my ROI at the end. So like I did a spreadsheet business, but I didn't take the time to go and understand what the operational um, risks were and how to mitigate them. And this is something that I see so many people doing because I hear, especially for, like for me farming, it gives me trauma because I usually hear <laughs> stories of, oh, my chicken got this disease or my goats were stolen or I'm just like, gosh, these animals and plants, um, it's a lot. And, and this is this story for me is such a big lesson in investing in things that I understand, mm-hmm. have the time to participate in and are actually interested in. Um, because with so many of them, you know, the ops is so repetitive that you really have to have a true um, a true passion for it. Uh, so my grandmother keeps cows and she names her cows. She knows all of them. She sings to them every day. And I'm like, if I don't feel like that about an investment, I'm not going to do it. Um, that's sort of my rule now. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me ping back to you, Rina. Um, something that really came out well from the story that you gave us is there was that gap in the management, the big club network that you apparently missed that could have been your biggest most obvious red flag yeah yes what do you have to say about um essentially looking at the background of the people behind an investment you know now over the years it's been four years since you made that mistake yes. what what have you learned to how are you applying that i think one of the ways is before i make an investment whether that's a listed stock or a commercial paper, I have to know who's behind the opportunity, who are the people behind it, who's on the board. And whenever I see, um, you know, some kind of anonymous group of people, like Mm -hmm. I can't quite drill down to who they are. I can't quite see where they've come from, what their history is. You know, you can't see them. Everything is scanty. The information around them is scanty. Then that's a huge red flag. Mm That's number one, because I need to be able to see, are these people who are people I can trust? Are they people of integrity? What have they done before? What's their management experience? So that's one of the things it has taught me. Secondly, I think one of the things that I've never quite understood, despite the fact I understand blockchain, I understand crypto, when it comes to Bitcoin mining, I haven't quite understood the technology behind it. You know, these hash things that they talk about, um, the, the the whole problem of these algorithms and how they work and how much you earn. It's a, such a complex thing uh-huh. that I don't, to, to this day, understand. How do they cal- calculate the earnings and how do you actually make money? What is the actual cost that goes into mining? I don't actually understand it. And so just like Val said, unless I fully understand it, I fully have knowledge about an opportunity, even if it is a fantastic opportunity that everybody else is going into, I will not invest because I, I don't understand it. So the ability to understand something is so critical because even if we're talking about cows, I need to understand that they must eat at a certain mm. time. 
or they are best milked at 4 a.m. and not 7. You know, others will get mastitis because of keeping too much milk. If I don't know that, then I'm going to make a mess of my investment. So knowledge for me, huge. If I don't understand, I leave it. And then secondly, understanding who's behind it with clarity, without scanty information as much as possible. How about you, Val? What, in hindsight, if you were supposed to go back to 2016, 2017, which seems to be a bad year for both of you, by the way. <laughs> Maybe those are just the highlight years, but you lose money all the time. <laughs> what could you have done differently? I think for me, it's similar to what Rina is saying, just taking time to understand that investment. And I think this is something that plagues us so much as a society. We're really looking for that quick buck. So the minute someone tells you about something, you're like, oh, okay, this is the initial, this is the operating costs. This is what I'll get as profit, Sawa, Twendekazi. Um, and we see this, like even on our social media, um, people are always asking, is this a good investment? And I usually say, if you have to ask somebody, is this a good investment? You don't have the right knowledge um, and you should invest in figuring out what that knowledge is for. That's what, you know, investable is for. That's what the courses we create are for. To right. give you yourself the tools that you and the principles that you can then use yourself to assess, is it a good investment? One, and is it a good investment for me? So that's the second part that I think I didn't do very well is ask, is this a good investment for me? At that time, I was working crazy hours. I used to work 16 hours a day. Um, I used to travel quite a lot. There was no way that I was going to succeed in farming, even if I understood it. So just understanding what my con constraints are and uh, what kind of investments make sense for my life circumstances, my lifestyle, and the kind of capital that I have, uh, what kind of capital I can actually put towards each investment opportunity. Rina, I love that you've told your story. We've seen that both you and Val have been exposed to what I would like to term as a failed investment. What are some of the things that you need to do to protect yourself from a failed investment? So the first thing is uh, what, we, what we discussed earlier in terms of just doing a due diligence. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the due diligence will cover who's behind this, what's the business, are the returns I'm being promised reasonable? Are they likely, are they too low or too high? I mean, what's what's going on here? Uh, and then what are the cash flows that are likely to come from this business? Mm -hmm. What's the performance of this company? Is it sustainable over a long period of time? So just generally due diligence to find out whether the operations around this opportunity make sense. And then the second thing you have to do is check what are my goals at the end of the day? Your goals are the foundation and the cornerstone that then you use to then build your investment plan. Because if you don't have clear goals about what you want to be able to do, when you need to be able to do them, then you will make a mess. You know, I found situations where people put all their money into an investment opportunity that is a long-term opportunity. So for example, a lot of people put their money in land. Mm -hmm. And so you find somebody's net worth or net asset value is 20 million shillings, 18 million shillings is in land, 500K is in the, the account, maybe the rest is in a fixed deposit account. Now, if you need money suddenly, how are you going to liquidate that asset? So what are your goals? And you have to have clear goals. What's your time horizon uh, will be determined by the goals. Then the other thing is diversifying. We have to diversify our portfolio. You can't just have everything in one basket. Uh -huh. Then the other thing, I would say is you have to look at your personal circumstances. I love what Val said. She said for her, she was working 16 hours a week. 
So despite the fact that this was a lucrative opportunity, and I have relatives right now who are still doing fish farming and doing really well, mm -hmm. but because the farm is in their home, right? They are passionate about it. They can be present. With farming, you have to be present. If my personal circumstances are such that I cannot be present, it's not possible. Or my personal circumstances are such that I have a need for cash flow frequently, then I can't put my money in long-term investment opportunities. So personal circumstances that include your age, you know, include how many children do you have, include whether you have wealth right now or not, whether you're in debt, those are things you must take into consideration. Even as you analyze, is this opportunity viable or not? Right. Yeah. And Val, building upon what, what Rina just said, I especially love the fact that um, she emphasized on the personal circumstances, which directly tie to your story here. What, what are some of the things that you need to do to protect yourself from a failed investment? Um, so I think in, in sort of answering the, the first question you asked about how do you know what's a legitimate opportunity versus uh, one where you just need to learn the operations a little bit more? And as you're thinking about protecting yourself from a failed investment, we've talked about due diligence quite a lot, but I want to emphasize even more on the person behind or the people behind an opportunity. Because when I think back uh, on my life and the times when I've lost money, um, it's almost always been because of the person's character. Only very few times has it been environmental. So something like, you know, regulation didn't work out or the business model was not the right one. But majority of the time, it is because the person behind it lacked integrity um, or didn't know how to operate the business. So I really urge people to spend a lot of time looking at the operators. You know, we say in, in my background is in venture capital and we say that, you know, for the first five, seven years of the business, it's about the founder. It's about the, the, the person who holds the vision and how they drive the vision. So I just want to iterate that sort of difference between the, the what we call the scam and what we call the failed investment. Because even in my case with the fish farming, the problem was me. It was me, the founder, the operator, um, and lacking expertise and, and, and lacking, you know, not doing a good job because I wasn't going that often enough. I was not putting in the work that needed to be put in to make this opportunity work. Um, so this is a very pers a personal belief that I have that, you know, a huge percentage of why investments fail, um, or become illegitimate is due to the person behind it. Um, and when I think about personal circumstances and how that can help you protect yourself from failed investments, I think that's the second biggest reason. So you yourself, do you understand, do you have the time? Do you have the money? Uh, Rina has talked about the difference between needing, uh, cash flow, like for example, having a, a situation where you need cash flow, which then dictates what kind of investment opportunities you can participate in. But there's also a big constraint that people tend to forget is uh, how much money do you have in total? And so how much money should you put in one opportunity? And is that the best thing for you? So I like to call this the, the opportunity cost, quote unquote. So when I think back to my story of the fish farming, um, the investment that I put in there uh, would it have served me better in a different thing, like a commercial paper or a bond? Uh, and making sure that when assessing investments, you're looking at investments not in a silo, but looking at them in the context of your whole life, uh, both from a time, money, and goals perspective. I hope that makes sense. It does. Thank you, Val. As the conversation goes on, investable. 
part of what you guys do is to teach investors these things to understand the whole construct of investment and you know understand the pitfalls that they, they're going to encounter in this journey and avoid them mm-hmm. and also look at their personal circumstance and marry that with some of the available opportunities which in the end would help them maximize their returns mm-hmm. how does your course here help people um reduce the chances of having a failed investment okay that's a great question we start the course from helping people understand the importance of not relying on their salary completely to finance their lifestyle to the point where they can create assets that finance their lifestyle over time so you can't do it immediately it's a process where you learn that your your income is what we call seed and you're required to plant that seed some of it so that it germinates grows and then you can use that to then finance your lifestyle mm-hmm. and we move from there to understanding your values who are you and what kind of life do you want to live what's important for you then once you understand who you are and the kind of life you want to live then we go into goal setting and the goal setting is aligned to those values and what you hold to be important to who you are and how do you then do the goal setting and then we create tools that help you to be able to achieve those goals by creating um you know like templates that you can use to set goals and figure out what does that look like from a month on month week to week basis then from there we go into investment options and look at okay so where do these investment options fit into these goals and what investments can i then get into to meet these these goals that i have that are specific to me as an individual mm-hmm. what are they how do they work where can i access them what are the red flags i need to watch out for what are the tips to be able to make the best opportunity out of them where can i find them uh, and so on and so we go through each and every asset class and look at the specific opportunities within those asset classes breaking them down on top of that beyond that opportunity is we go into um weekly meetings where we have a live Q&A where we're able to address specific um questions that people may have and then one of the things that i find very unique about this program is that we've created communities around the cohorts so the last community by the way still meets they have they, they now organize even sessions every month on their own different yeah. topics that are relevant to them that they want to to discuss so they'll have an insurance person come and talk about it they'll have somebody from money market funds to come and talk to them they'll discuss and hold each other accountable which is really valuable in seeing people actually implement some of the things that they have said they will do mm-hmm. and when you watch people succeed and others implementing and telling you about oh I did this I invested and this is what I'm experiencing then it encourages others to do the same so you complete the course but not just for knowledge you actually and we've actually seen behavior change as a result mm-hmm. Well, allow me to uh, throw you under the bus or in this case throw you to the hooks. Um <laughs> what <laughs> What do you think would be um what do you what do you think would be something that you would have done differently in 2017 had you already encountered investable then? Oh, for me it's definitely like the most transformative part of investable is the values clarification exercise. um and linking that to goals because definitely in 2016 17 and before i didn't have 
clear goals. I didn't have very clear goals about what I wanted with my life. I just used to see an investment opportunity and take participate in it. Despite the fact that I was working in investments, which is something that I, I like to say a lot because it goes to show that this course is rich, not just because of our you know, professional backgrounds, but also because we've been there, we've been, we've been there in that mud and we know what happens, right? So we're able to share very practical insights. So for me, that values exercise was transformative. I did it recently again when I got married and things change, um, which is why I love that this is a lifetime. You get access to this course for your whole life. So as mm-hmm. things in your life change, you know, you get married, you buy a house or you're getting kids, the things that you your goals change and maybe your values may shift slightly. They don't tend to change that much, but they may shift slightly or the priorities might change. Um, and so had I had investable in 2016, I probably would never have taken um, up fish farming because it doesn't quite fit in with what I want for my life. Um, and the, you know, I was not able to do it to the, to the, you know, the way that I like to do things. One of my key values is excellence. And so being able to go back to that compass and saying, is this something that I can do very well? Is this something that I can become almost, uh, you know, the best at? Um, I would have said no. And then I would have not ever done that investment or I would have hired a professional farm manager to kind of do it for me. Um, Or I would have done better due diligence. You know, there's many things I could have done differently, but just going back to that initial set of values and goals and asking myself, does this actually serve uh, to help me build the life I want? Thank you. Rina, uh, thank you so much for sharing your your personal stories. Maybe as we close the episode today, what's the parting shot you'd like to give to future students at Investable? I think one of the questions that I get a lot from people is how can I be disciplined when it comes to my finances? Because a lot of people know what they need to do, but then they don't do it. And one of the things that we have done with Investable is help people gain clarity about what they want. When you know your big why, then it's not a struggle to get things done. And, um, you know, we've also taken the, the time to put together a quick guide, an investment guide that's free, that has, you know, steps on what do you need to make sure that you have in place to be able to create a good investment plan. And we've actually got the link uh, in the notes section. So I'd encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast to just download it. It's free of charge and you can get access to it. And I wish everybody all the best as they go out and invest. It's not difficult. It's very simple. Take time and invest in yourself so that you are able to make the right decisions when investing is concerned. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rina. How about you, Val? What's your parting shot? Oh, um, for me, what I would say is... I'm really looking forward to a world where people have the financial education they need to make decisions for themselves that work for them. And I would love for a majority of those um, opportunities that you're participating in to be African ones. Um, And so my challenge to people listening to this and to those uh, joining Investable is to look at our continent from a perspective of prosperity and to think about making investments for the long term. So leave alone this idea of making a quick buck. Let's start thinking about building generational wealth and doing that here at home because we have so many opportunities that are great and untapped. Thank you so much, Val. This is actually all we had for today. I really, really enjoyed your stories. Would definitely have you guys on the show later to talk more about investing. Thank you for joining us today and um, have a lovely day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us.